Hello and welcome to Book Shambles, producer Trent here. Just to let you know, firstly, that this week uh, the episode is a little bit shorter than normal, mainly because uh, it is extremely busy here at Shambles HQ at the moment, getting ready for the 24-hour show on December 12th. But we didn't want to not put out an episode this week. So this is a chat with Josie and Jenny Landreth. We're doing a few episodes now. Uh, We've done a few in the past, obviously, with just Robin. And uh, we're doing a few coming up as well with just Josie. So this is Josie chatting to Jenny Landreth, who's been on the show before, uh, chatting about her book Swell, her water biography. And this is about her new book, Break a Leg, about amateur theatre. So we hope you enjoy that. Thanks, as always, to our Patreon supporters. You are what make doing the 24-hour show and these podcasts and the blogs and the documentaries and the live streams on the weekend and all the other bits and bobs possible, as well as, of course, An Uncanny Hour, our new podcast documentary series that is exclusive for Patreon supporters. Episode three of that is out now, all about David Cronenberg's The Brood. We interviewed Cindy Hines, who was one of the child actors who played Candy in the film. Charlie Higson is in that episode. Charlie, of course, uh, author of various horror stories as well as co-creator of The Fast Show. Steve Bissett in that episode, uh, artist who worked with Alan Moore on things like Swamp Thing. He's just written a big book about the brood. Kayla Janice, who is a horror historian, and also Professor Josh Cohen, who's a psychoanalyst uh, and a David Cronenberg fan. So that's all in the latest episode of An Uncanny Hour. That's out now for Patreon supporters. And there'll be lots more uh, exclusive Patreon stuff in the new year as well. We know we haven't done as many Patreon-only live streams in the last month. That is largely because the 24-hour show is all-consuming at the moment. But once that is out of the way in a couple of weeks, we'll be doing some special live streams with Robin and Josie and myself and others just for you. So patreon.com slash bookshambles is the address to go and sign up for that. And crowdfunder.co.uk slash nine lessons is where you can donate to the nine lessons show. And remember all profits from that show uh, go to the four brilliant charities we're supporting this year. Turn to us, Mind, Doctors Without Borders and the King's Place Music Foundation. That starts midday, December 12. Robin is hosting the entire time. Josie will be there. Helen Chesky will be there. Claudia Hammond will be there, Beck Hill will be there, Steve Pretty will be there. Lots of guests are on stage and hundreds, literally hundreds, Skyping and Zooming in to the show. Brian Cox, Chris Hadfield, Sophie Ellis-Baxter, Jimmy Barnes, Delta Goodrum, Alice Roberts, Tanita Tickerham, Rusty Schweikart, on and on and on. So make sure you tune in for that. It's all free to watch online, midday December 12th, live for 24 and probably more hours. Now on to this week's episode. Here is Josie and Jenny. Uh, Hello everyone. Welcome to uh, Robin and Josie's Book Shambles. This is my first time doing a solo interview. Robin and I are doing more solo interviews now so that uh, we can better interview people and get them done so that we can get them out. And I'm so excited because uh, for my first interview is a person who I've long admired the work and personality and life of. And I'm so excited to have her. Um, I'm talking to Jenny Lander. 
Andrew today. Hello, how are you? Hi, Josie. I'm well. That's kind of quite a lot of high pressure to put me under. I've got to be really admirable for the whole of this, <laughs> so I'll do my best. Right. Or just uh, just be exactly as you wish, and I will love it. Um, Thank you. So, Jenny, I I also Robin is so much better at the formal interview technique, whereas I prefer. A lovely chat um, so it might end up being more scrappy um but i wanted to say before we start talking about the world of your new book um you got me into cold water swimming um and you wrote an entire book about your love of swimming in the world and I, i'm so like thrilled to get to be in a public sphere being like <laughs> you, you changed my life <laughs> i kind of feel i kind of feel now because i'm not writing about swimming i feel I feel a bit. I feel a bit like, oh, I want to. I want to still write about swimming. I want to still talk about swimming, but I've got to talk about this other thing. But um, yes, cold water swimming is a great passion of mine, and um, it remains so. And I invented it, in fact. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did, and I feel a lot of people jumped on that bandwagon. They're having a lovely time, and they should uh, take note. I do do that thing now when I, I see an article like cold water swimming is really good for you. I think, well, thank you. Some of us have been saying that for 10 years. If you just <laughs> take a notice, 50 <laughs> pence to me, please. Yeah. If yeah. PRS, yeah. We talked about it. CWS. That's what it would be. Yeah. Then you'd be fine. And this book um, is uh, it's about amateur theatre. And what I felt when I was reading it is it's, an incredibly loving book as well about your parents and how much they loved amateur theatre and your kind of relationship with that growing up and uh, sort of uh, what prompted you to start writing it? Well I was thinking about that this morning because I thought that might you you might ask me and um, I was trying to kind of remember why I'd fixed on this. I do like writing about communities. When I wrote about swimming I very much wrote about the community of swimming and particularly the community of women swimming yeah. so I do like writing about communities and I think it kind of came about because I'd had three or four conversations in which people had used Amdram and amateur theatre in a really derogatory way and I kind of thought you know what hang on a minute um I, I, it really it really made me fed up because I thought this is how my parents started this is how lots of people get their kicks I really want to delve further into this community. I thought this is a really niche little thing. I'm just going to write this neat about this really niche little world. Um, and as I got further and further into it, I thought, hang on a minute, this is not a niche world at all. Everybody I spoke to had some connection or other with amateur theatre. Either they'd done it themselves as teenagers or their parents had or they knew some. Everybody knows somebody who does amateur theatre. It is not this niche little thing. And I also wanted to kind of explore that in terms of how that I, how we as uh, as British people, because it's a very it's a very specific phenomena to this country. Um, so I wanted to write about how Britishness is also tied up with amateur theatre. I didn't kind of I didn't answer that always satisfactorily. I don't think because nobody's got a a, a perfect answer to it. Um, but well, also it will be different all around the country, depending on what other community things there are, what sort of what the nature of that place to live is like. It's yeah, not going to be the same in, you know, in the centre of 
a city in the Midlands as it is in a village in the Highlands. Like, no, could... and, and actually, that's that, I mean, that's a really key point for me that everybody has this one perception of Andram mm. that it's dusty old ladies kind of wheeling at wheeling a trolley across and falling over a rug and the sets falling down and Which doing. I should say I love and think well, it's incredible. Well, well, exactly. <laughs> but but you know, actually, there's a whole huge range of stuff going on. Um, so some really radical work lots of young people engaged in it yeah. uh, you know it's 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 doing lots of second second showings for contemporary plays mm-hmm. it's not it's not this one particular thing in some areas yes you will get this very dusty old rather naff um, amdram but in other places you get c- cutting edge radical people testing out ideas really creative really exciting work so i wanted to kind of explore how 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 it's not just one thing well, and also, I, I, there's two things I wanted to pick up on from the book, actually. There was one with the, the fact that your mum was in a production of Equus, which just feels really like nudity in Andram just feels like a bridge too far for me. I tell you, it feels like a bridge too far for me as well. I don't, she obviously did not get nude, but also my mum's very, you know, she, she's, eight, she's 89 last week and has been involved in the theatre for a very long time. And, and that's where she's very conservative Catholic uh, with a small and, and large C uh, mm. woman. But on the stage is where she will accept and allow all kinds of uh, m- much more uh, outrageous explorations than she would in actual life. So in that sense, it's a kind of, it's a, a really good thing for, for people to uh, express ideas that in their ordinary lives, they might feel uncomfortable expressing. She didn't get nude. I, I, I really want to stress that. She would, <laughs> she would really want me to stress that. Of course. <laughs> no insinuation. Yeah. No insinuation whatsoever on my part. I was just, it's as you say, you know, it was, you, you can get an idea that, that that sort of play wouldn't necessarily be put, being put on in an amateur production that people's mums are in. And it's really, really cool. That yeah. It, I mean, when I when I was growing up in the in the amateur theatre, because my mum and dad were involved in every production, they took turns because they couldn't really afford babysitters. So they took turns to be, you know, at, at the forefront of, of each production. There was really, really racy stuff. And we were we were taken to see most things apart from anything. Yeah, apart from anything, we wouldn't have gone been taken to see Equus because of nudity. And we anything that had sex in it, we wouldn't have been taken to see unless it was you know, Alan Aitborn or something, because that sex is not really fun. That's fun Fun. sex. Yeah, just that's inference rather than actual sex. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, also, I think it reminds me a bit of, like, there's so much about class in it, isn't there? Because a lot of the reasons why I think people, A, do amateur dramatics and b it gets looked down on are because those are people who would never have been able to or thought that a professional life in the arts was for them a a, a lot of people you just uh, is that a silly thing to say i feel like uh uh this country in particular can be so excluding in terms of class in terms of letting people through to do artistic careers that like 
it's almost like that's people's access to being a performer and being an artist yeah i think i think that i think that's definitely true on one level that the idea of you know being a, performing in an orchestra or being an actor or all of those things are are kind of hived off to, uh, to an exclusive bohemian kind of set of people and if you're an ordinary working class person that's not for you you know you get the job I mean, you know, not anymore with with zero contracts and everything. But, but it, it, you know, certainly when I was growing up, uh, you get the job and you get the job for life and you stay in that job. And any artistic, creative um, part of your life is is hived off. Yeah. Um, but I but I I kind of think um, that suggests as well, and and that's that that everybody in amateur theatre is doing it because they couldn't make it in professional theatre. Yes, and that's not true either. I, I really don't think that's true. I think it's it's an a, a addition to their lives rather than something that they all hankered to do. So, um, you know, Hannah Maxwell put it really well. Actually, she said it's the co it's the colour in the tapestry of people's lives. This is this is where you find the colour. Hannah Hannah Maxwell, if you don't know her. You'd absolutely love her performance. She did a great show called I Am Dram, which is about her teenage years. I interview her in the book. Um, Josie, honestly, look her up. You'd love her. That's I, I. It does remind me of things that I did. Like uh, I was in a production of Annie when I was 13 and I loved it so much. But I, they wouldn't let me play an orphan because they said I looked too conspicuously well fed. <laughs> I wonder it's what they were saying there. Yeah. But then they would let me play a down and out. So presumably, you know, you know, they're different standards yeah. at that time. Different yeah. standards. Yeah. I, I, I also, I, I mean, what I love about the book as well is it really focuses on, uh, like, at the end, the way you talk about it. I mean, it's, it is such a vivid celebration of all the different ways people come into it and all the different reasons people do it. But it brings me back to when I found out that the root of the word amateur comes from the root of love and lover. And like, I think that's such an important thing to remember is that like, who was yeah. it? Yeah, Lucy Neal was saying that her, uh, you interviewed Lucy Neal about, was it her grandmother? Who it's her, her great aunt or her great, great aunt. I can't remember now, but. Yeah, who who was doing folk songs, uh, co collected folk songs as a as a way of kind of stamping our history into the into the ground and celebrating the love yeah. that we feel for our for our own history. Yeah, and was just like, yes, I am an amateur because that means I'm actually connected to this. Yes, yeah. like I mean, in some ways, it's political, isn't it? It's about like how if you don't if you can't fit into a value box for capitalism, you're told that you're not of value. And you're told that what you're doing is not of value. Yeah, it yeah, it is political. It, it is. Um, the, the one one thing that came through um, for me when I was doing all my interviews and speaking to people, you know, I started off writing this thinking, oh, great, I can be really cynical and sarcastic about uh, about all, all these people doing this this funny little thing. But actually, in the face of overwhelming joy, and that's the word that people use cynicism just kind of drops off you um and you you just fully engage with the joy that people feel for what they're doing um i don't suppose lots of people see it in a political way I, I'm, I'm sure as with anything some people do um but mostly people just do it for joy and mm. you know it's so important now as well it's so important and there's a kind of naffness to it that uh, that, uh, that made me resistant to that at the start but as i say by the end i was fully embracing the joy because you you just can't resist it 
So I love that you started out being like, I'm going to teach these idiots. <laughs> and then again, you were like, I've been taught a lesson. I had a journey. I went on a journey. I genuinely, I genuinely did as well. Um, I was going to put loads of photos in the middle. Um, at the, when, I, when, I first was, when I first started writing about it, I was going to put loads of photos, because my, partly because my mum has the best slash worst collection of amateur photos I've ever seen. Honestly, I showed them to my kids and we could not stop laughing. Sofas feature heavily, everybody in the shot looking really dramatic, but all, all having different emotions, people with terrible outfits, mismatched centuries, you know, all of, all of that stuff. And I was going to put a collection of these. But at the end, I realized all I would be doing was kind of pointing and laughing and doing my, you know, funny caption thing. And I thought, you know, I, I really don't feel I really don't feel like pointing and laughing anymore. I feel that I just want to celebrate. So I'm I'm going to keep the photos for myself. Um, I'm, I'm not going to put them out there. Also, as well, then you, you've got a photo of your dad at the back. And it's so beautiful. Like there's there's a bit in the book where your mum shows you his paints. Yeah. His theatrical paints. Oh God, it's so yeah. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that was a pretty that was a pretty emotional moment for both of us actually. But again, we you know I come from a very Catholic family where you didn't really talk about emotion. And my father died a, a long time ago, but still seeing this stuff and having having that very visceral experience of opening his makeup box, which Mum had not opened since he died in 1983. Wow. And kind of being able to, this kind of, this kind of poof of who he was came out of this box, and we just the pair of us kind of communing, picking everything up, um, laughing about it, looking at his funny glasses with no, you know, no lenses in, all of that kind of stuff. It was it was a really it was a really important moment for us, you know, as as mother daughter. It was it was it was a beautiful thing. Was the whole book quite a bonding exercise for you and your mum? Yeah, oh. totally. Yeah. Um, it's the first time. Yeah. You know, I she lives in Birmingham. I live in London. I've got kids. I don't see her as much as I should. And actually spending that time with her, going up there to see rehearsals and, um, you know, to because the, the narrative spine of the book is me following a production from beginning to end. And I decided to do that at the theatre I was raised in and that she's still a member of, you know, 66 years and counting. So I did. Yeah, I got to spend a lot of time with her and she she got to talk about her passion with me, which you know, you kind of realise how, as a as a younger person, I I, I would have been like, oh, not interested, not interested, not, or you know, just kind of cut cut the conversation down every time she started. But she's kept everything, um, so she was a really good archive source for for me with <laughs> with everything. And uh, yeah, it was a really good it was a really good bonding exercise. And she she's reading the book now, and um, I hadn't told her that I dedicated it to her, and of course she she. So it, she got the book on publication day and uh, rang me up and said, oh, thank you. You know, I, sh I shed a little tear and I thought, yes, that's a win. <laughs> that's a win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, talking about my dad, we don't talk about him often. And, um, you know, because he died, he died a long time ago. So we don't, as a family, talk about him often. So to get that chance with my mum to really properly talk about how they met, when they met, um, and for... You know, I, I've talked a bit too about how my kids, obviously my kids didn't know my dad, 
and so we went home one Christmas, went back to Birmingham one Christmas, and I, and I was rifling through photos, and the kids were there, and, and they were looking at pictures of him for the first time. They've seen odd family snaps of him, but not this kind of really in-depth uh, look. And they were, they were really moved, and they said it was the first time they really got a sense of who he was, looking at these, even though they were looking at him not being who he was, yeah. um, but they really got a sense of, of him as a character and a personality. And... Um, yeah, that was that was really moving for me as well. I think it's something in the book that makes a uh, oh, what a garbled question. <laughs> what I love is this book, and and also I think the swimming memoir as well. It's so much about big lives and loves in the ordinary, and in things that are local and small and like real. It's like it like your mum's great passion of 60 years you know that's massive yeah in a community thing on a small scale you know and so it's um sorry that's I was just thinking of it and I wanted to say it yeah no I I I feel very much that that this is where community really lives local community really lives in this one little theatre on a on a side street in Erdington there's there's a huge community attached attached to that you know proper community they they all eat locally you know people have been going to that space for decades everybody supports the shows um they all start to know each other you know my mum's a really integral part of it all she's known people for for years in there and often won't know much more about people often Mm. won't know for instance what their politics are what they do for a living or you know often won't know that stuff about them and 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 that ties in with swimming as well you know that you know this one thing about people you know that they swim you know that they do amateur theatre but there's this whole other life and it's great sometimes to be able to leave all that other life behind you and just engage in this one thing with these people Mm. around you and for the sake of building something good as well that's very rare like even in a community or a political project that sort of presupposes that you're all on the same page in other ways whereas this is just like let's come together and do something joyful that will have a good giving effect let's make a show yeah and let's and take it really seriously you know everybody takes it so seriously nobody's just faffing around nobody's just you know nobody's made to go there people are going there of their own choice obviously <laughs> you know, so everybody's giving it their all the hours they work i mean you know people would go there when i was following the rehearsal people i just pitch up you know hello i'm i'm the writer from london with my coffee flask and my notebook and i'm going to sit here and scrutinize you all people would come after working really long hours and then work really hard for hours on stage trying to get a line right trying to get a scene right blocking a scene you know making a set working out the best you know working out the lighting rig working out the sound people work really hard and put so much into it it's extraordinary to see it's brilliant it is oh I really love it's just so like wonderful in times like these to read something that is so pure and joyful and celebrated oh yeah it's thank you it's it's a kind of a funny time for it to come out in a way yes I wanted to ask you about this have you been speaking to people at the theatre like how is Covid I mean I presume these these places are just waiting well it's it's there's kind of three strands from what I can work out there's people like my mum who you know has no 
uh, she's got no tech and wants no tech. So she can't join in anything online. So for her, she's completely cut off from everything. She's in tier two, so she can't really, or, or I think she might be in tier three, actually. She's in Birmingham. So she can't really be engaged in this thing that she's been engaged with. You know, even during the war, people were going to this theatre. So, so there's people like my mum who are completely cut off from it. There's people, uh, lots of um, amateur groups own their own theatres. And obviously, if you can't, you can't go into the building, you can't hire the building out, you, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a worry because those buildings have been in existence, lots of them, for hundreds, of, well, not hundreds, but over 100 years, some of them. You know, they are old buildings, they need regular use, they need maintenance, they need to be used. That's, yeah. that's a problematic group. And then there's this other group of people who have completely and absolutely stepped up huh. um, and are reinventing themselves on Zoom, on YouTube, on Google Hangout, on whatever, and doing, doing kind of running arts academies, uh, you know, with all kinds of workshops and readings and rehearsals and auditions and lectures and just really stepping up. Lots of new writing happening you know, because that's the stuff that you can put online. Mm. Um, so that, you know, so it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a three tier system. Um, <laughs> medium. <laughs> and oh gosh, that's, there's too much there because how sad that there are these people who are older people who are now just sat in purgatory, unable to do these things that give their life like, Oh, I want someone to take her around a tablet. <laughs> Show her around. Well, we could have. She could have been given a tablet. It's not like you know. We're not all kind of refusing to allow her tech. But <laughs> I mean, generally, a tablet would freak my mum out. It, yeah. She would just. She 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 does use a mobile phone. She texts me every now and again, and always puts from mum at the end. Okay. Um, she texts though. My mum will not text. She does text. But when I when I was going there a lot to uh, to see the to, to be involved in the rehearsal process, I thought I need the internet at home. It's 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 no good. So I got the internet for her. <laughs> and she, she absolutely hates having the internet at home because it, it kind of sits in the corner flashing blue lights at her. So yeah. I, I'm one hundred percent convinced she turns it off when I'm not there. <laughs> would you remember in the good old days when at night people would turn off their wi-fi at night don't remember doing that i i really feel it was definitely a thing that my parents did when i was younger how did they lie in bed checking twitter on their phones i mean <laughs> i know it's sad isn't it they didn't get that lovely soul-sucking pleasure of having what? all of their time disappear what on... joyless lives they led <laughs> Um, so then hang on oh so uh, that is so interesting to me too that many um many amateur theatres are actually owned by the players because especially when I think about London how rare it is to have any community spaces at all that haven't been kind of eaten up by real estate or had landlords that just ramped it up that feels very um powerful yeah well, there's there's over a hundred theatre th amateur theatre groups who own their own spaces. There's this thing called the Little Theatre Guild, and to belong to the Little Theatre Guild, you have to own and operate your own Bromley Little Theatre. Yeah, where I was growing up, Bromley yeah. Theatre. Yeah. Me. So the, you know, so there are these groups that have their own theatre spaces, and you know that they'll that they'll probably hire out to make money. You know. I know, I know a hybrid, which is the one that my mum's involved in. They yes, they they hire all sorts of other producers hire it to use it because it's a really properly set out theatre. It's got 
a, a sound and lighting box. It's got auditorium. It's got a great lighting rig. It's got props, you know, all of that stuff. It's, it's a theater. It's a proper theater. Yeah. So yeah, there are, there are lots of them around the country. I've actually performed one in Nottingham. And the reason I know that it is usually an amateur theatre is because there's a documentary, which I'm sure you've seen, by Jeannie Findlay. Have you seen it? About the pantomime in Nottingham. No, I've oh. heard about it. I must... I'd like yes. to recommend it to you. Um, gosh, uh, Trent, you'll have to Google the exact name, but I think it might even be called the pantomime. I'm not sure. But she made it, I think, for Storyville for the BBC. And it's all about oh. people who make that show and the people who regularly do the theatre there the character profiles are wonderful like you know lovely people for whom it's their passion yeah and it's oh yeah if you've not seen it I recommend it and anyone listening is such a great documentary and a very good companion piece to the book I think <laughs> well you've probably I mean Bridget Christie for instance um she um recorded makeup and may mayhem makeup and magic sorry to interrupt Bridget Christie recorded sorry she recorded either she did something she did a show or recorded a show at the Questers Theatre in Ealing huh. um which it, and, and that's I mean that's possibly that's probably one of the most kind of well-known amateur theatres in the country uh, and Bridget used that for I think she was recording a show um because it's a huge it's a huge theatre with a, a, a glorious auditorium, beautiful yeah. stage that can go into any figuration. Yeah. So, you know, probably you, you might well have been to an amateur theatre without realising that that's what it actually is. I think the problem is the term amateur has been confused with uh, something illegitimate when actually it's not really the different the differentiation between amateur and professional is so kind of much more diffuse and much more uh it, it runs along different lines to how yeah. people think. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And actually, uh, and I make the point in the book that in theatre, it's re it's a really clear delineation. There's professional theatre and there's amateur theatre. Whereas in something like music, you don't say you're an amateur musician or you're yeah. a professional musician. Comedy. You're a, a you're a yeah you're a musician. You're a comedian. You know, you don't get that kind of really strict delineation. Yeah. Well, I as a comedian, I will play any gig I've played gigs that could not be more amateurish and could not be more of an amateur bent you know yeah. I, and I've played, I played highly professional things and I feel like I it's never once made me question whether or not I'm a comedian yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so the idea that the fact that you're doing acting every six weeks for 60 years and yet you're not allowed to call yourself an actor is yeah. wild yeah but also there's people I mean I, I did rub against this a bit in the book there's a, there's people in the amateur uh, theatre world who don't like to call themselves amateurs because of the connotation they go no 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 we're not amateurs we're non-professional or we're community I mean community theatre is how it's defined in the states but so they're really resistant I was like no mates claim <laughs> the word it's fine it's just reclaim it it doesn't because anybody who knows knows that it doesn't mean second rate you're not you're not using it as a as a, an adjective in the same way that you might to describe something else you're using it to describe this very particular thing you do it's fine claim it for yourselves don't try and say we're not amateurs we're we're the closest thing to professional it's possible to, you know it's fine you're yeah. amateur theater it's fine <laughs> well also it's it's sad because it's people say, actually saying we're not bad we're good you know yeah. we're not shambolic we're committed it's yeah. like yes it shouldn't be <laughs> 
I haven't really asked you about books and I'd like to a little bit. Have, what what I I know you uh, what did you read writing the book that you would most recommend for people to read alongside your book as supplementary or, 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 or what other things sort of, I'm going to ask you vaguely around the subject because why not I've, I normally I'm not this focused and I actually quite like to be focused yeah. on the book. <laughs> actually there's one thing that, uh, that I, I read quite a lot of um, research books and whatever um but the one that particularly I really would recommend um, that people read is Amber Massey Blomfield's book, 20 Theatres to See Before You Die, because um, she uh, she's a lovely writer and she does what I love when you're writing about um, things like this, which is a mix of personal, social history, um, architectural. She mixes it all up in a very, very uh, intelligent and articulate and accessible way. So that is the book I would absolutely recommend that people read. And what have you read recently for fun and pleasure that you would recommend to people? Oh, Jesus. I've read terrible books recently, actually. <laughs> oh, I tell you what I've just read that I loved. I, I'm, I'm just deciding whether to ditch this Eleanor Ferranti that I'm reading called Days of <gasps> Abandonment. I know, I know. I haven't read that one yet, though, so. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I read on a Kindle, so I'm 60% of the way in and I'm thinking, oh, you need to, something needs to move here or I'm moving on. Um, the one I think that you might absolutely love is called In the Polar Night by somebody that I can't remember. But it's, Trent will be on it. Okay, thanks, Trent. Night, in so. the Polar Night. It might be even Woman in the Polar Night. See how, see how on this I am? <laughs> we know there's a Polar Night. Yeah. That's all we need to know. And it's written by a very, very posh woman from the 19... 30s who went to join her husband uh, a woman in the polar night by christine ritter she went to join her husband in the arctic circle for a year and it's just a oh it makes me excited just to think of it i really wanted to go and replicate i wanted to go and live in the arctic circle in a small hut they basically they basically live this life in a, they live in a garden shed essentially, but up in up in the Arctic Circle in the days when that would have really meant literally just a little shed. Yeah, 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 and no kind of um, neoprene or whatever. Oh no, no neoprene, no Wi-Fi. From what I can work out, no toilet, and um, that which which troubled me as I was reading it. But you know, well, I got, I go over that. There's all manner of other waste disposal complications. Absolutely. But it's it's a, because it's not like it's just unlike anything else. It's a it's autobiographical, obviously, nonfiction. It's just like nothing else you'll read this year. It's brilliant. Cool. Thanks. That's a great recommendation. Well, um, sure. listen, thank you so much for talking to me. Um, it's such <sighs> a pleasure. And I am really excited about the release of the book. I think it's brilliant. I hope like, I hope it inspires a generation of people to perform a bit when we can. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that slightly bitter note, entirely understandably um, creeping in there, yeah. You know, I, I think it is really wonderful to hear that people are kind of getting online. I just can't, There's to me as a performer, there's nothing that beats being in a live theatre venue, so. Well, also, I mean, you you have the slight um, uh, disadvantage in that you actually need to earn your living from it. And and this is where being an, an amateur actually is an advantage, because those people yes. doing that do not need to earn their living from it. So, you know, but uh, yes, uh, one woman particularly that I spoke to um, who's very involved in South London theatre, um, 
said the one the one thing that's missing obviously is the adrenaline you know you get a slight adrenaline when you're doing a, a zoom rehearsal that some somebody's tech is going to go wrong but the one great thing about doing theatre is that adrenaline is shared among everybody involved you know if, if, from if you're doing the door to if you're doing the sound and lights to being the prompt everybody's involved in the same heap of adrenaline in that performance and that is currently missing so we're all de-adrenalised or if that's not a thing but it is now. I got my uh, hormones checked uh, by my PCOS doctor and they said that my testosterone was unreadably low and I was like this is because I am not performing and my body is just flatlining. Yeah. <laughs> um, well thanks so much for speaking to me it's a pleasure and um, the book's out now isn't it? Yes out now yes. Yeah, it is. yes. Um, cool Trent I hope you enjoyed that. Thank you very much for listening. Remember, patreon.com slash bookshambles where you can go to support the show, rate and review and like, five stars, all that business on Apple Podcasts. That helps us out. December 12 is the 24-hour show. Cosmicshambles.com slash nine lessons is where you'll find all the info about that and where you can donate to the charities as well. That's all for us now. We hope to have an episode for you next week, but uh, it really will depend on... 24-hour show prep so hope to see you next week if not we'll be back the week after that with a brand new episode thanks for listening stay safe have a great week farewell this podcast is part of the cosmic shambles network josie robbins book shambles was produced by trent burton of trunkman productions 